Holy Spirit, I pray right now that as you're speaking to each one in this room, that we would incline our ears to you and be obedient, that we would set things aside. We would truly, truly fix our gaze on you. You are the author and the perfecter, the finisher of our faith. You have done what the Father asked, and now you lead us to him. We bless you, Jesus, for that. be seated. It's great to have you in our midst, uh, where you've come from, wherever it is. It's great to have you here. I'm, uh, I'm going to do something that I don't normally do, uh, and, and I would actually teach people not to do uh, if I was teaching a preaching class. Um, but I'm going to do it anyway because I really feel a burden on my heart to start with an apology. And, um, and I want to apologize uh, in a small way, and, and it may not be a big deal for you, but it's a big deal for me, uh, for last week, uh, last Sunday. I've been, all week I've been going over my message from last Sunday, and I don't think I did a very good job. And I don't say that to look for pity, and I don't say that to cause problems, but I've been wrestling with what I feel God wants to say to his church, which includes us. And uh, part of that wrestling is, is just grasping what is for me, what is for the church, and what is just not needing to be said and what is needing to be said. And, uh, and so if there's something that was in last week's message that has stirred you, but not in a positive way, then don't let that grab your heart. Please come and speak to me. And if, if, if I'm the cause of that problem, and perhaps you would speak to one of the elders or the leaders in the church. Um, for those of you that weren't here or haven't listened to the message yet, uh, it wasn't a clangor. Um, uh, <laughs> there was no uh, F-bombs or uh, uh, inappropriate things that were said in church. But I, I just really don't feel like I conveyed what, what the Lord put on my heart to share. Um, and and I, I don't say that lightly, uh, because I take the privilege of standing here with God's Word in front of me uh, to share it with you. I take that, that very, very seriously. Uh, in my youth and my ignorance and my arrogance, I didn't take it seriously. And uh, uh, I had to be corrected of my youthful immaturity. Uh, and so now I come with great reverence with the Word of God to share with you. And, and so if I don't feel I do a good job, I want to own that. Um, perhaps last week I was conveying to you, um, I don't know, uh, just maybe that um, those that aren't here aren't as important. And that's not what I meant to say. If you heard me say that, then I am taking that back. If you didn't hear me say it, then that's okay. Um, I especially want to welcome our online viewers. They are a very important part of our church, and you're going to hear me uh, talk about that today. I want to acknowledge those that can't be with us this morning because they're away, they're on holiday, they're traveling, or they're working, or they're not well. You are not loved just because your bum sits on the seat here. You're loved because you're part of this family. And uh, if there's any way that we can convey that to you, it would be my deepest desire to, um, to help and cooperate with you to create a sense of family. When we first came here, Kathy and I, in 2015, the Lord said, revival will come to this town. It's the only reason I came here. Not because of you, but because of what God wants to do in and around you. Please don't... don't oh, now you're offended again. Oh, I did it again. Foot and mouth syndrome. No, the honest truth is, uh, I, I came to serve an audience of one. I came to serve an audience of one. 
And the Lord said there will be revival in Te Aumuru and people will fall on their face and cry out to Jesus. I saw an outpouring. You've heard me say this before, so I don't need to say it, but I saw an outpouring of his Holy Spirit, like an open heaven, like Jacob's dream of the ladder. I saw that over Te Aumuru, but I saw it over the center of the town, not the church. And I signed up for that. And the Lord said to me in 2016, the beginning of the year, he said, revival will come through family. And so we, we don't use that phrase lightly, but it's hard to do family, eh? Anyone else married? Anyone else got kids? Anyone else got parents? Brothers, sisters, aunties, uncles? Family's not easy. Oh, mother-in-laws, yes, add that to the mix, because they are family. Gee. Okay. Well, family can say what family needs to say, and we love each other in the midst of it, don't we? You know, but, but we say family, and we mean family, but we don't always get family right. I mean, how many times have I had to apologize to my wife and my children for being an egg? More times than you know. Does that change the fact that we're family? No. So Church Without Walls, this idea that we've been journeying on since December, and this is really my last sermon, and we're going to wrap it up next week with a family meal. Um, Church Without Walls is just about exploring what God wanted to show us, uh, that we might break some paradigms around what church is. And I've been saying it for uh, 10 weeks now. This is message sermon number 10, because I number them. That church is not a building, church is not a meeting, church is not even a body of people. It's just a time when we get together to gather around with Jesus in the middle. And I've been, I've been purposely containing myself to the early church in Jerusalem, purposefully, lately, this month, just locking at that. And so we're going we're gonna to end up there today. And I want to share a message with you this morning called the dimensions of a hybrid church, a hybrid church. So what do I mean by a hybrid church? There's people in this room that drive a hybrid vehicle, so they'd be able to explain things to us a little bit better. But a hybrid church, the word hybrid basically means working together. Working together. And in a vehicle, in a motor vehicle, we could have brought one in display, shown it to you. Uh, it's, it's basically the car uh, that has two, two motors that work together, but the goal is always, with a vehicle, it's momentum. You get in the car to go somewhere. Sometimes you hop in your car for a sleep under the tree. I know. I saw a guy yesterday, I went through Cambridge, and he was literally in his car sleeping under a tree, enjoying the shade. But the goal of getting in your car is usually to go somewhere. So momentum is the goal. And it's the same with a church. A hybrid church would be the working together of many parts, but the goal is also momentum. I had to school myself this week. On the screen, I hope you can see a picture of a car. And you'll see on the left-hand side, there's a green motor. It's the electric motor that works with power from the battery, which is the pink Lego blocks at the back of the car in this case. And on the right-hand side, you'll see a blue petrol engine. It's a combustion engine. It's the same engines they were building cars with 120-something years ago. Pistons going up and down, fuel exploding, and it's creating energy which is transferred to the wheels, which makes the car have momentum. But this is a hybrid car, because actually my car only has a petrol engine. I'm a bit of a petrol head, and so I'm not quite converted yet to the idea of electric. 
although I enjoy driving my friend's one. But the, the, the thing with this is, and, and, and this is where we, we want to draw some analogies with the church. I'm showing you this not to give you an education on mechanics or engineering, but for you to think about the church, which is our focus this morning. But when it comes to a car, some of the things you want to do in the car is you want to accelerate. So when you accelerate in the car, what happens is the, the electric motor helps with that because electric motors go from zero to 100% power with a switch. You have instant access to all the power of that engine and it helps you accelerate much, much quicker than your petrol motor. Petrol motor's got to build up momentum. It doesn't have instant torque. So when you're accelerating, you can see there the arrows are showing you that the battery is powering the electric motor, and then the petrol motor is actually pushing energy back into the battery, sustaining it, and you can accelerate very, very quickly in a hybrid. But what if you wanted power if you're going up a hill or you're overtaking? Normally what happens is that the electric motor disengages and it engages the combustion motor. Now for those purists who are totally sold out on electric vehicles, they would argue that an electric motor does have torque and it can tow a caravan. That's true. But nominally speaking, simplicity-wise, when you want power, it switches to the combustion engine. And as I always say, my dad says and his dad said, there ain't no dis replacement for displacement. Finally, if you're driving down Alexandra Street looking for a park, not wanting to hit anyone, you're probably going quite slow. Your car is quite efficient. And in this hybrid model, it's just using the electric motor. The combustion motor switches off, saving you power. That means there's no fumes gasping out the back and ruining the environment. It's very efficient, very environmentally friendly. Efficiency. What's the point in showing you this? The whole point of a hybrid vehicle is that the electric motor and the combustion engine work together to achieve the goals of that motor vehicle. Why am I showing you this? Well, this week I've been thinking about the hybrid church, the many dynamics and dimensions of the church that should be working together. And I want to I spell it out real, real simple because we've talked about Church Without Walls for 10 weeks or more. And if you think about the two things that work together in the church, the first one is it says in the Word of God, we must not neglect gathering together, whether it's in a meeting like this or in the home to share the breaking of bread and the fellowship and to pray with one another, to study the Word of God and the teaching of the apostles, that we would not neglect gathering together with others. And we said this all the way through lockdown 1.0 and 1.7 and 2.4, that isolation can be dangerous if we disconnect. So we mustn't neglect gathering together. But the other side of it, and, and I don't know which one you think is the mechanical engine and which one is the electric engine, it, it makes sense to me to compare Zion at home with the electric because it's all digital. It's YouTube and it's our church app and it's sending stuff out to people um, but I believe Zion at home is vital to our expansion. That hasn't changed from three years ago when, when God said, I want you to uh, petition the elders to invest in technology because we want to send our messages further afield. And we can be in more places at once because of technology. It's not to replace gathering together, it's to add 
to gathering together. And if you think about the motor vehicle, there are times we need to accelerate. And we need the two to work together really, really well. And, and there's times we need a little bit more emphasis and power in what we're doing. And so we need to come together in the gathering together where we can be flesh on flesh and laying hands on one another. And there's time when we need to be efficient. We needed to be super efficient when COVID arrived. Man, I had to learn how to live stream from my house by myself in five days. Big growth curve. But we had to be efficient in how we operated because we couldn't do what we would normally do. What's my point in showing you this? The hybrid church is one that interacts in multiple different dimensions in order that we would gather momentum. Because momentum, as much as it is a goal for a motor vehicle, is also the goal of the church. Does that make sense? You're looking at me like you're not sure where I'm going, but you're going to follow anyway. Okay. All right. So I remind you that hybrid, when it comes to a vehicle, as much as it also applies to church, is hybrid means working together. Different dimensions working together in order to achieve our goals. But, and this is where I think we got into a bit of a trap possibly last week, is we've got to watch out for distraction. It becomes a detriment to a far greater dimension. Distraction would be the enemy of our momentum. And there's more important dimensions that I want to talk about today. Particularly, one single important dimension that I want to highlight. Distraction comes, you know, like, um, I know uh, when I go to church leaders' meetings and when I catch up with my pastor friends online and we talk on the phone or we Skype or Zoom or whatever you do now, we're always talking about, well, how are meetings going for you? What's it like when you gather together? And, and how are you doing worship when you don't have a band at the moment? And, and, and what about connect groups? Are they functioning well and interacting and, and pastoral care systems and, and administration? And, and we talk about all these things, which is important, but sometimes they become a distraction to a more important dimension. So even in the church, that was forming in Jerusalem, that they also had a couple of moments of what I'm calling distraction. In Acts chapter 6, it says, In those days, a number of the disciples were multiplying. There arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in, in the daily distribution of food. People got upset. The Hellenists were the traditional Greek, uh, raised as Greeks, but they called themselves Jews. They were the more traditionalists. They were the ones who were saying, hey, you guys aren't taking care of us. It became a distraction to them for their life as a disciple. Now, the good news is the leadership of the church, they did something about it. They prayed, and they sought the Spirit of God and His leadership, and then the Spirit of God said, hey, appoint some men to take care of the food so that you, the apostles, can continue to do what you're called to do. But it was a distraction in the church took people away from the focus, which is far more important, and that is seeking Jesus. Acts 15 also, Paul and Silas got involved in this one because some dudes turned up in the church down in, I think it was Antioch, and they're like, hey, you've got to be circumcised, guys, to be a Jew. And Paul's like, what? Jesus told me already, and I've told you before, you don't have to cut the flesh. 
to be set apart as a follower of Jesus because Jesus' flesh was cut so that yours doesn't need to be. But they had to go to Jerusalem to the council, and there's a council of elders that met, and the wise men, the leaders of the church sorted it out. But I can promise you back in the home church, there's a whole lot of people confused as heck, distracted. Now, problems like this is what leaders sort out. But the problem is when people try and sort out the leaders' problems, they get distracted. Should we do it this way? Should we do it that way? What about this? Shall I cut you or you cut me? It's just a distraction. We miss what I'm calling a really important dimension of the church. So what are those dimensions of the church? The first one is real simple. And I've used language from a hybrid car to try and help you remember. And I'm going to show it to you in Scripture. First one is the mechanics of our faith. Do not neglect your personal responsibility for your faith. What does that look like? Your personal discipleship and serving and loving God and others. We see this in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. You can see the reference on the screen. It talks about the new church. This is the the church that formed in Jerusalem, and 3,000 people were added to the number as the Holy Spirit poured out on the day of Pentecost. And then um, Peter preaches this amazing message, and it says here in verse 42 of Acts chapter 2, they, the people, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread, which means acknowledging Jesus, and in prayers. That's the mechanics of our living together as the body of Christ. And I think, you know, whilst we have some false starts and we have some people plug in and plug out, I think we generally the church does this quite well. But there is a more important dimension that I wanted to point to today, not to say we're not doing this, but I wonder if we're doing this at the expense of not doing this. We get so caught up in personal discipleship and serving and loving God that we forget to live in the dynamic power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, I'm... In my life right now, as you know, many of you know, we have a massive change in staffing over last year, and at the moment, it's just me. And I can get caught up in the mechanics of church, and I apologize if you haven't got what you need, it's because I've got 74 emails uh, that I haven't got to yet, or I've got some stuff that I've got to sort out for the counselors that are working in the schools, and they're starting to send me invoices, and I'm like, that's awesome, you're working with the kids, it's amazing, I just don't have the systems in place to manage that yet mechanics, the functions of doing what we do to love and serve our town. And I'm so caught up in that that sometimes I forget to come in here and spend my time praying in the Spirit and praying for you. can get distracted. But the dynamic power of the Holy Spirit is seen in Acts chapter 2 and verse 43. Great fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. What is wonders and signs? It's what we see in Acts chapter 3. It's the the man at the gate who's raised up in faith and who walks and dances with joy because Jesus Christ has healed him. But look at Acts chapter 4 and verse 31. When they had prayed, Acts 4 verse 31, when they the people of God, had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. Now that doesn't mean, oh, we got the goosies. 
oh, we felt like Holy Spirit really turned up in our meeting and, and so-and-so was crying. No, no, no. The building was shaken physically. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the Word of God with boldness. That's a signs and wonders. That's the dynamic power of the Holy Spirit. When you get together as the church without walls in a cafe or in a home, in a connect group or in a, in a, in a, in a family dinner, is the dynamic power of the Holy Spirit evident in your gathering? The best place to lay on of hands and to prophesy over one another is in a small and intimate gathering. We're all called to do it, but are we doing it? Don't know. This challenges me. So let's think about our key passage for today. I want to point you, I warned you I was going to preach out of Acts chapter 5, but I'm graciously missing the first part of it. Acts chapter 5, verse 12 to 16. This is the key passage for today. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all in one accord. I preached a message on that phrase recently. One accord, one heart, one mind, one spirit. They were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Yet none of the rest dared join them. But the people esteemed them highly. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord multitudes of both men and women. So that... They brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. And also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. All healed. All healed. All, all, all healed. You, the person next to you, the person that lives next to you, the person that works next to you, they were all healed. This is evidence of the dynamic power of the Holy Spirit working in a community. I just want to briefly make some observations from these verses. Through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people and they were all with one accord. Verse 12. I believe that there was this, this one accord, and I've spoken a message on it. You can go and find it. It's on the app. One accord is the unity that is necessary for the power of God to flow. There was headship. There was a recognition of the apostles, the leaders of that day. It wasn't just that the apostles could do it. It was just at this stage that's what was happening. But we see it spread far and wide beyond that. There's not just a few that should be doing miracles. Every single one of us have been commissioned by Jesus Christ to lay on the hands of our family members or our children who are sick, to pray for our neighbor, to, to speak with our workmate, to bring a word of knowledge and encouragement. But I believe the key there is that they were all with one accord, a sense of unity, coming together. 
Bruce Monk, who was the previous leader of Acts Churches New Zealand, of which we're a part, he, he does a real simple demonstration. I've done it here before. He says, you can come together as the church, but there's no strength when you come together like this, and he puts his fingers like this together. But he says, when you are with one accord, and you're like this, there is strength that is very difficult to break. I believe it's a beautiful picture of what I sense was happening here as they hung out in Solomon's porch. And then you get to verse 13, and it would seem that this was an elite group, an exclusive group, a group that didn't invite everybody in, but it doesn't say that. It says, none of the rest dared join them. As I studied that this week, what I came to realize through my readings, looking at different translations of the Bible, is that what it actually means is there were some people that saw what was going on and decided it wasn't for them. In today's language, we would say that they were not hosting a seeker-friendly service. They didn't dumb down the message. They didn't dumb down their prayers. They didn't go back to the simple things or the the character-based messages that might warm the ears of the listeners. Nope. It says they were doing signs and wonders, proclaiming the name of Jesus, and people were healed. And there were some that said, you know what? We're not for that. That's tough. It's tough. But I think the church for too long and its desire to become relevant and contemporary and open doors to everybody that wants to come in and we want you to feel welcome, we've dumbed down the message. We've hidden the Holy Spirit. We haven't pushed for breakthrough. We've, 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 we've kind of quietened down the service because we don't want, heaven forbid, Holy Spirit should do something that we didn't plan on the run sheet. I mean, as a church leader, you know, I take that, that risk very, very seriously. I mean, what if Holy Spirit right now wanted to totally disrupt this message and do something that he'd prepared? Would I be willing to forego all my preparation for him to do what he wants? I ask myself that every week. None of the rest dared join them. But then look at verse 14. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord. So it's not that the church wasn't growing. What's my point? I'm distinguishing between there are some that see the work of Jesus and become believers. There are others that see the work of Jesus and don't become believers. But let us not dumb down who we are or what we do in order to make everybody feel safe and completely miss the Holy Spirit working in our midst. And it's got to be more than me that says that. Believers were increasingly added. It should be our expectation that God moves, people see God move, and they join. They become believers, not in the church, but believers in Jesus and his power at work in our midst. We should be hungering, I believe, for more of God to move in our midst, more signs and wonders, more cases where we go, you know what, there's only one explanation for that, and that's Jesus Christ did a miracle, and the others would see it. What kind of miracles? Well, it's here. They brought the sick onto the streets. I mean, is this superstitious, you reckon? 
gee, what if Peter's shadow passes? Maybe they'll get healed. No, it's faith. Because it's, it's not the shadow that does the healing. It wasn't Paul's handkerchief that did the healing. Peter himself says at the beginning of Acts chapter 3, well, no, the miracles at the beginning of Acts 3, he goes, guys, 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 it wasn't me that did this. It was Jesus. So we should be expectant that what we do leads people to find healing and freedom, but we should always point back to him. Why do you think they call them signs and wonders? They're signs. They're like signposts that point somewhere, and they point to him. Would we have faith? that people would bring the sick, lay them out, that the people of God and the faith of the people of God would activate healing. We, 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 the church. Multitude gathered, verse 16, a multitude gathered from surrounding cities. What does this say? Just as Jesus commissioned them in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Come on, what does it say? In Jerusalem and in, I'm, I'm listening, Judea and Samaria and into the ends of the earth. It's not something we contain, something that goes out, that spreads. You could say viral, but it's probably not a safe word to use right now. Multitude gathers from surrounding towns, bringing sick people who were, look at this, tormented by unclean spirits. You know what? In those days, it was really, really normal for someone to be delivered of a demon. Happen, I mean, read the Gospels. There's probably more deliverance of oppression from demons than there are physical healings. And it's no different here. Why? Because people that look healthy aren't always healthy. Hey, I don't want to go looking for spiders under rocks, and I don't want to be guilty of getting too spiritual that you think you're giving the devil more credit than he deserves. But in my experience of working with people, the things that they expose themselves to through their lives creates open doors for the demonic realm to have influence in their lives even after they're saved. It's in the book. A multitude of people were tormented by unclean spirits, got set free. They were all healed. Now, I'm not trying to cause problems and point at all of you and say, come on, you're all possessed. But I'm saying, let's just allow Jesus to bring complete healing and complete freedom. Let's not assume anything, but allow him to lead. I remember once I went for some ministry. It's quite a while ago now. Um, maybe... Uh, Nine years. And, and I thought I knew what I was going for. Have you ever had that? You know, you got for prayer? Well, I traveled for this. I was desperate. I went a long way to get ministry. And I turned up with my list. I didn't, didn't hand it. I was in here. I turned up. But what I did not anticipate was that the Spirit of Jesus had so much more for me than I realized that when, when the person graciously worked through my list, I had the boldness to say, Jesus, is there anything else? And that's when the real freedom happened. Because he knows more than I do. And he sees into the deep recesses of my heart and he knows the wounds I'm carrying and he knows the weaknesses I've got that I've hidden from myself. 
So let us not be a people who assume we know what Jesus wants to do in our lives. When was the last time you came before him on your face, got into his presence through worship and praise, and then said, Jesus, what would you like to do today? When was the last time you did that? The dynamic power of the Holy Spirit at work in our midst. But I believe there's a catalyst that set that off. I'm calling it the enabling of the dynamic power of the Holy Spirit, and we see it in verse 11, which is the verse before the passage I read you. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. What is the catalyst for the enabling of the dynamic power of the Holy Spirit in our midst? I'm proposing to you today, it is the fear of the Lord. A holy, reverent awe of God and who he is that causes us to bend ourselves to his will regardless of what that is. Now, I did a word study on the word fear, and do you know what it actually means? Afraid. It means exactly what you think it means. In the context of the many different times from the beginning of Scripture to the end of Scripture that the fear is used in relation to God, it's not afraid as in I'm going to die, it's afraid as in I could die. I remind you, go and look at the call of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6. He has a revelation of who God is, almighty God on the throne, and he falls on his face in fear. Go and read the story for yourself. It's homework, Isaiah chapter 6. Why was me? Because I'm a man of unclean lips. Fear of the Lord. What about Saul? Dude on his donkey, Acts chapter 9. Read the story. Heading off, where was he going? Come on. He was going to Damascus. What was the purpose of his mission? To kill Christians. He's riding on his donkey and a bright light knocks him off his mule, to use a nice word. He says, who is it? Jesus says, it's me. It's Jesus, the one whom you are persecuting. And it says in the scripture, let's get the word right. He, Saul, trembled and astonished. He was shaking in his boots afraid. Why? Because Jesus was before him. Fear of the Lord. Have a read of the beginning of the revelation of John. It's right at the end of the book. And John gets taken. He's in this, like, he's, what's he put himself into timeout, I suppose, Well, he was put into timeout. But he's on Patmos, and he has this, this encounter where he's, we don't know if he's transported or whether he's just got this vision of being taken up into the heavens. And he has a, a revelation. That's what's called the revelation of John. He has a revelation of heaven and the things to come. And it says, and I fell on my face as if I was dead. Why? Fear of the Lord. When was the last time you got before the Lord, had a revelation of who he was, and you were overcome by the fear of the Lord, and you felt like you were dead? It's how we're supposed to live. 
I'm proposing to you in this passage that it was the fear of the Lord that came. This is the first time ever Luke uses the word church, ecclesia. First time ever it's used. And fear came upon the church, the gathering of the called out ones. Fear came upon them and all who heard these things. And what that enabled, I'm proposing to you, what that enabled was the dynamic power of the Holy Spirit at work in their midst. What hinders the Holy Spirit in our day and age? Two things. One thing. Or two things. The presence of the fear of man, meaning we're worried what other people think or are going to say. Worried about our meetings, not being safe. Worried about there being disorder because God does things we didn't plan. Worried about church overlapping with our personal priorities. Worried about letting people down because we're going to church instead of a family gathering. Worried about, you know, how do we please everybody in the house? Fear of man. The presence of the fear of man will squash the power of the Holy Spirit at work in your life. in the absence of the fear of the Lord. One time I was driving in my car from Wellington to Tipuki, where my parents lived. Um, I was a young man, and um, I was driving in the rain, and um, I forget what time of day it was. Um, it was an inconvenient time of day, and there was a guy standing on the side of the road looking for a ride. It was just me in my car. I probably had Dire Straits playing on my tape player. That's how old my car was. And I felt like the Lord said, pick the dude up. I was like, nope. It's wet. And I heard the Lord say, pick the dude up. I said, nah, it's wet. And I drove past him. And the moment I drove past that guy, he, look, he probably had dozens of people drive past him. I mean, who wants to pick up a wet guy? Your car gets soggy. You've got to share your biscuits. The moment I drove past him, the fear of the Lord came over me that almost made me crash. It was so strong. The fear of the Lord compels us to give our lives for him. Not to do what we prefer, but to do what he asks. Why do I persevere? In any season that brings challenge, it's not pride, it's not stubbornness, it's not strength, it's the fear of the Lord. Because I came to Tiamudu to serve an audience of one. And as I close, I would just close with this. I believe as a church that God has called us out as Zion to be one of the churches in Te Awamudu that moves in the dynamic power of the Holy Spirit. We already have that reputation. I met someone on the street late last year and they said, oh, you're that church that does the Holy Spirit stuff. I'm like, yep, yeah, I'm proud of that. It's a good reputation in my books. We'll have a dynamic power of the Holy Spirit at work in our midst when we have this holy, reverent, sacrificial fear of the Lord. So to close, what I'm going to do is uh, I've got a song as a contemplation song. And it's, um, it's a song that cries out for revival. It's written by Hillsong Young and Free and performed by them um, in an acoustic set. 
you can find different versions. I've just chosen this one. I've put the lyrics on the screen so that you can read them if you don't know the song. But I would truly ask that you take this time to use this song as a moment of contemplation and that you might consider inviting the fear of the Lord into your world. As always, uh, we are always happy to pray for people, to pray for them, to pray with them. And if you need prayer for anything, if you feel there's something blocking that for you, I mean, nothing gives me more joy than someone to come and say, hey, can you pray that I'd experience more of the Holy Spirit? Can you pray that I'd have baptism of the Holy Spirit? Can you pray that I'd experience God more? Oh, yes, every day I'll do that. Let's contemplate what this song has for us, and then we'll close. <laughs>